it was such a great lesson and one that I have never forgotten because the truth of the matter is our own individual experiences matter. That is what she was teaching me in the moment. And part of that nurture was that you cannot cower in the face of anybody. Like what you bring is as important as what they bring. And so my confidence is built out of that kind of understanding that I enter a room and I'm like, no, I, I belong in this room. Not only do I belong in this room, you're welcome that I'm in this room because I'm bringing a new perspective. I'm bringing new experiences. And the thing is that like all of us have that. Are you ready to decide it's your turn to live your most purposeful, profitable, passionate life? I'm Christina LeCure, former professional golfer turned confidence and success coach. I truly believe every one of us was put here for a God-given purpose, and it is our responsibility to live that fully. For well over a decade now, I've been turning my life as well as countless others around from feeling unworthy, incompetent, and without a purpose to living a life I cannot wait to wake up for even on days when shit hits the fan. And it all started with a decision. Yeah, you heard that right. I said God and shit in the same sentence. So clearly this won't be your typical podcast, but what I can assure you is that each week myself and my guests are going to enlighten you, fire you up and having you walk away with stories and strategies to not only boost your confidence, but give you hope that at any moment in time, you have the power to decide it's your turn. Hey, y'all, welcome back to the podcast. So I'm not going to kid around today. It was such a gift to record this episode of the podcast with my guest, Bozeman St. John. So if you Google Boz, she is probably one of the most famous marketing officers in the world. She has worked for companies such as Uber, Netflix, Apple, Beats by Dre. I mean, the list goes on and on. But today we were talking about her new book, The Urgent Life, which was one of the best books I've read in a very long time. And I'm not just saying that because she is on the podcast. I felt like today's conversation, I was talking with a girlfriend. I am kind of, honestly, a little bit of a girl crush, to be honest with you. Please share this podcast tag Boz, tag myself. It was such a gift for her and her team to say yes to the interview. Like she's truly a, a massive celebrity and I'm honored to have had the conversation. And she's really honestly just a dream. I enjoyed it so much. Please share this episode with a friend. Be sure to tag both Decide It's Your Turn, myself, B. Christina, and Badass Boz on social media. You guys, please enjoy today's episode and go get the book, The Urgent Life. Y'all, I'm unbelievably excited for my guest today. It is such an honor. I am joined by Bozeman St. John, the author of the new book, The Urgent Life, which if you have not read it yet, you 100% must. Be careful, though. If you're reading it on an airplane, you're going to cry like I did. I was <laughs> on my way to Vegas and I was like, it was hard for me to read it because there was just so, I mean, this book, I've read thousands of books, but there was a, a ton of feels in this book. And I expected it to be because obviously, I actually didn't know who you were until I was listening to Molly's podcast. And I figured it would be very business based, knowing the fact that you have been Forbes number one, you know, marketing officer at all of these world renowned companies, and just getting into it and hearing your story. It was truly incredible. So thank you for writing it. Oh, thank you so much for that. What a what a rave review. And you're right. I think the um, air, airplane warning 
is a good one because um, I've had quite a few people like tag me on Instagram, like saying, you like destroyed my makeup on my way to such and such a place or the, the flight attendant was concerned that I was sobbing and I'm like, oh my God, I, that was not my intention, but I'm glad you were feeling the feelings with me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, you posted something about your you and your daughter making lasagna. And it was like, when I read you making the lasagna after your husband got sick, I, I, I felt it like I literally it's mm. one of the coolest things when you can as an author, I mean, I don't is this your first book? I'm assuming? Yeah, yeah. like, yeah. as an author, like your very first book, being yeah. able to like clearly articulate like how you're feeling and for me to feel like I was there with you is truly incredible. So congratulations. And um you know, everything that I preach and everything I teach and talk about is always about deciding it's your turn. And I feel like the correlation between living life urgently and deciding it is your turn, I think just really kind of is probably one of the reasons why I really resonated with what you were saying. Have you always felt, obviously, if everyone hasn't known all every bit of your story yet, have you always lived life urgently? Um, no, I don't think I have. Well, maybe let me try it a different way, which is that, um, I inherited my dad's spontaneity and impatience, you know, in life. Like I, and if I can be totally transparent, which clearly I'm going to be. <laughs> which um, I love. <laughs> well, I'm like, look, the truth is out there. So I might as well keep going. Um, I, I don't admire that quality. I don't, I don't admire it in him and I don't admire it in myself. You know, I always found it to be disruptive. You know, because we'd have a plan, like, you know, especially as a family unit, when I was a kid, we moved around a lot. And it was mostly based on my dad's spontaneity. You know, he'd get an idea or fall in love with a job or like be like, ah, this country next. And then boom, off we go, you know, without much, at least for, for my young guys, without much consideration for how it would disrupt um, or change our living or our comfort or any of those things, you know? Um, and so I think that I had a little bit of built up resentment around that idea of spontaneity and impatience because I saw it in him and I could feel it in myself. You know, when I get an idea, like I want to do something, girl, ain't nothing you're going to do to stop me. You know, there's literally nothing that could, that it doesn't matter if it's a pair of shoes or it's a job or it's a house, I'm going for it, you know? But what changed, though, um, and what I am now more appreciative in myself and what I'm talking about in the totality of my book and then just in the way I live my life is that urgency isn't just about like speed. You know, it's not about like right now. It's not that ugh. it's not that carelessness with time. You know, urgency to me is, is absolutely more intentional. It means that I don't have patience for things that don't serve me. That's now where I have channeled my impatience, right? I just, I don't have time for it. I'm like, okay, this thing is not growing me. It's not loving me. It's not supporting me. It's not making me better. Then I'm not interested in wasting time engaging with the thing. And it doesn't matter if the thing is a romantic relationship, a platonic relationship, a work relationship, hell, my car. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You know, it's like, I'm not engaging with it over a long period of time. It doesn't mean that like, I'm just like, you know, spontaneously up and out. I make plans because as soon as I start to feel the feelings, I'm like, ooh, 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 let me pay attention to this, you know? And that's where like my intuition plays into it. 
So I haven't always lived an urgent life the way that I am living now, but it is born out of a behavior that I did not respect in myself before. Oh, I love that. Yeah. You know, for me, I just feel like it's such a gift to know that life is urgent or decide it's your turn or live life to the fullest. I just feel like, you know, obviously you've been through so many losses in your life and, you know, this book, my audience probably doesn't know this, but I lost my best friend to suicide at 18 as well. And, um, we were in a fight. I always remember like when I found out, like we were in, cause we, he wanted to date. And when that part of the book, you were talking about it, I feel like at that age, I didn't realize what a gift it was for me to realize that life is so short, but now, you know, at 40 years old or whatever I am, you know, I feel like I've, I have this beautiful gift inside of me that I don't know really where it comes from, but I am so grateful that I know life is short Mm -hmm. and that I have to live urgently. And I feel like that is so clear in your book. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm inspired by it. You know, I think it's easy not easy. Easy is not the right word, but it's, it's, it's expected and maybe acceptable to live your life fearfully if you have gone through any kind of trauma like that, you know? And by the way, I don't like to compare grief because I'm like, look, no. whatever happened to you is as important and is as devastating as what happened to me. Okay. And they don't have to be the same thing. And there's no scale that we're measuring. Right. But to your example, it's like you lost your best friend in a moment where you probably didn't feel closure, you know, in the relationship, it was too soon. You felt shocked by it. Like all of these emotions, you know, that come at such a young age that you were just not expecting. It's like, aren't we immortal? You know, when we're 18, like, can we do whatever we want? And time is like infinite. Right. But the true gift, as you said, is that, um, you know, there is, now like this understanding that life is not just short it's like it's meant to be lived really really big you know it's like we shouldn't live small lives we shouldn't live lives that feel passive as if we're just going through the motions and life feels so much better when you're intentional about it and when you're getting up and you know that the purpose of what you're doing is contributing to some larger mission You know, and that's what I feel like whenever you're in a rut or you're feeling like, oh God, you know, you wake up and you just like that pit in your stomach and you just don't even want to get up out of bed. It is the biggest sign that you may not be living the life that's right for you. And so how are you going to change it? Because it is in your power to change it. And so how are you going to change it in order to make yourself feel like I am purposeful in it? Yeah, it's a big decision. Okay. So going back to you, um, really feeling like you have to say yes to the things that are most important to you. One thing that you did most recently last year, right after the book came out is you decided to leave your corporate job and kind of start again. And this is something that I went through when I was playing. I used to play professional golf. I was, and then I completely changed lanes Mm -hmm. and I felt like I kind of lost my identity. Like when you, Quitting hmm. Bozema St. John, like the chief marketing officer, the woman on Forbes cover and all of the yes. things. How did that go? Like, how Ooh. hard was that? <laughs> you know what's so funny is that um, I really, I didn't consider any of that when I resigned, you know, because 
I resigned because I was like, you know what? It is going to be very, very hard for me. And by the way, it was a really great conversation with Ted Sarandos, who's the CEO of Netflix. Um, we have a great relationship. And it was a very honest one, you know, which was just like, look, I really love my job. Like, you know, we were hitting all the big things, all the big moments. We just come over off the success of like Squid Game and Money Heist and Lupin and Bridgerton. And, you know, it was just like the, it was just hit after like all these hits, 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 hits. And going into what was going to be a very big like blockbuster summer. Um, and at the same time, I had been writing my book for two years. You know, every Saturday morning at 10 a.m., I'd be here on my laptop. You know what I mean? And um, it was coming down to, you know, like I turned in the final, final. So you would think that like, okay, no conflict now, right? Yeah. But I could feel it in myself that it was like, okay, I turned in the final draft, but now I had to get into like the mindset and mind frame of, promoting the book, getting myself emotionally ready in a different way, right? Because it is one thing to write by yourself or even in talking to my editor or like, you know, anybody about the process and, you know, just getting into the nitty gritty of the book and a whole nother thing to talk to another person like you or anybody else about my experiences. Those are two very different processes. And so I knew I had to go. And and like, you know, a lot of this conversation, it's like, look, my intuition led me to that, really. And I listened to it, even though I was like, yo, you're not gonna have a job. Like, you, <laughs> you, like you, you quitting your job. You don't, you don't have a paycheck coming in. But you know, I was like, okay, you know, I've saved enough money. Like I, you know, I'm, I'm set. Like I could do this for a year or two years even, thank God, right? I've been blessed to be able to have that kind of reserve. And I was like, okay, you know what? Let me just go ahead and quit this job. <laughs> And it wasn't until like a month after I'd quit when, you know, sort of the high of being like, freedom, I'm outside, you know, I'm an author now. And then I was like, oh, shoot. Like, I walk into a room and it's no longer this Bozeman St. John, the chief marketing officer of Netflix. It was, and then the, some of the phone calls stopped. All of a sudden there was like this, you know, dinner that a bunch of executives uh, were having, and I didn't get the invitation to it. I saw it on Instagram. And I was like, wait, hold on. I'm supposed to be in that room, okay. <laughs> you know? And I was like, oh, shoot. Like, I'm I'm not in the seat. So so am I no longer important? You know, it's like, I don't have the title. Now I'm just Bose. There is no company behind me. Nothing big. I don't have a book yet. I don't have anything. And it was a real shock to my identity. You know, because I've always had one. And I think all of us, regardless of what, what it is, we all have one, right? You're a mom or you're a wife, you're a teacher, you're a business executive, you're a golfer, you're whatever, fill in the blank. And then all of a sudden I'm here scrambling, trying to figure out what my identity is. And what I found to be very helpful was that even in thinking about my book and the different identities I've had throughout my life, because really my memoir, you know, I, I meant to center it on my husband's illness and the last three months of his life, but it ended up expanding to so much more than that, you know, because it was very difficult to write about those months without understanding the full context of everything in my life, right? And as I even thought about it, I was just like, man, I've had so many identities. 
there's been so much transition. You know, like I got married to my husband in 2003 and thought I'd be a wife forever. And then in December 2013, I was a widow. What, what kind of? And then I was a single mother. You, like these are not titles I wanted, not identities I ever aimed for. And so I know I'm like conflating the business and the professional, but I think that's where we all are. You know, there's in, there isn't this like hard, fast line between those things. We are one. And so therefore all of those identities are describing you as a person. And that's what happened to me. So I sit here now and I'm like, when somebody asked me, what do I do? And I'm like, my best. I do my best. I love that. <laughs> I do. I love that. Yeah. You know, when I, I made this transition from golf to what I do now, and I changed my social media handle from golf, Christina to be Christina, because every single day I just want to be Christina, like mm. whether that's golf, Christina. Yeah. yeah like, yes. but that to me is like one of the hardest things that people go through. I mean, I've like one of my girlfriends, she just sold her seven figure e-commerce business and she mm. still feels like we were having a conversation the other day. She's like, I feel like I've like lost a part of me. And so many people, especially guys, I feel like guys really a tie their identity to what they do, like oh, how much yeah. money they make, what they do. Like that is a big deal. And if you strip oh. that away from someone, it's hard. Oh. So hard, so hard, so hard. And I think that's what is really difficult when you think about transition. You know, and again, it could be in your business life or your professional life or your personal life or your social life, all of those things. Um, changing your social media handle or changing your bio is a big deal, actually. You know? It feels like it. Like you, it is a big deal. You lost the Netflix part. And like, that's a hard part to lose because it's like such yeah. a big part of your identity. Yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden, it's like I said, you know, it's like, think about when somebody goes through divorce, Yeah, you know, and now you're not invited to that Christmas party or your social circle changes because, you know, some of your friends identify with your ex. And now you got to figure out what your new identity is, not being the wife or the husband or the partner of this person. So what have you learned about yourself in the last years that you haven't had a title behind you, a business title? Well, a lot of things, <laughs> a lot of things. Um, one of them, which I knew, but, you know, has become that much more clear to me, um, is that I am enigmatic, regardless of the title, you know, that I, I made the title. Yeah. The title really didn't make me. Yeah. You know, I can still walk into a room and still capture it. You know, that's uh it was it was scary to figure that out. You know, because I think I subconsciously relied so much on that corporate climb. I was so focused on that for a couple decades. <laughs> so you can't really blame me for that, right? But without it. And without some of the social circles that I had been so used to automatically going to, all of a sudden I was like, oh shoot, can I walk into a room and still like meet people, mm -hmm. talk to people still going to be interested in talking to me if I'm no longer doing this job that they think is so interesting. You know, it's like, look, I couldn't even go to a doctor's office without the doctor being like, what should I watch on Netflix? And I'm like, oh, can we get to that? 
cold that I have, please? Like, can we talk about that? Like, I, I don't know. Watch, I don't, I don't know. Some other show. I'm not sure. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I totally get it. I was doing, I had a, I did a campaign for LASIK eye surgery. Uh-huh. And literally that guy has a knife in my eye wanting to talk about golf. And I'm like, dear you know God, can we please not talk about golf we, just for the two seconds? <laughs> two, two seconds. Like, can you two just seconds. Two seconds. You got a knife in my eye. I don't give a shit about your golf game right now. <laughs> right now, exactly. I want you to focus on this eye. Okay. Exactly. Please do not. Maybe. So how does the person, you know, something that I, I preach about all the time is confidence is to me, the number one thing in the world, mm-hmm. like everything, confidence, personal, professional, all the thing. How mm-hmm. have you gained so like when mm-hmm. someone looks at you, they know you you're confident as shit. Like oh, how, yeah. like, how have you had that? And you talked about it in your book, how like you really almost came out of the gates like that. Like, what yeah. do you feel like has been? been a part of that do you think it was born in you like I believe confidence is like a muscle the more that we use it the yes. stronger it gets but totally totally agree I'm like look it's like any other thing you know intuition confidence all of those things are muscles that you build and for me I think some of it is definitely nature you know I was born a particular way but nurture for sure help me with my confidence. You know, I've told the story before about my mom when I was 12. We moved to Colorado Springs, Colorado, right, from Ghana. And, um, you know, it was a pretty, I would say, like, homogeneous community. You know, a lot of people who, even though Colorado Springs is a very military town, there were a lot of people who'd been there, like, their whole lives. You know what I mean? And, like, connected with each other. And they all looked the same. They did not look like me, you know? And um, I... At 12, like, right, you don't want to be different. None of us do. You know, if you remember back to that time, you know, depending on how you were, like, you just, you didn't want any attention on you that made you different. And that's the way I was. Um, but I was different. And when we got there, you know, I had like a pretty thick Ghanaian accent. I was very tall, very black, very African. Lots of people didn't know where I came from. They had assumptions based on what they'd seen on TV and the distended bellies and flies on the eyes and all that stuff, right? And would ask me questions like, did you, do you know, like, how did you learn to put on clothes? Or like, you know, did your family eat monkeys? You know, like all that stuff based on ignorance, not meanness. They weren't trying to be malicious while some people were, but you know, it's like, mostly it was just ignorance. It just did not know. Um, And I remember the first time that I was invited to, you know, hang out with a group of girls that were, popular and you know like that first moment where it's just like oh come hang out with us after school and I'm like holy shit I think I think I've broken it I think I've made it you know and so I went and hung out with them and it was great and you know the next day everything is cool at school and they're talking to me in the hallway and you know like I'm feeling good and then comes the big one where I'm like you guys should come hang out at my house and they're like yeah that's cool yeah we'll come over and I'm thinking oh my god so go home you know tell my mom my god this is the big one Girls are coming over, like, let's like order some pizza. We get some soda. Like, you know, I just want to make sure everything is good. And she's like, pizza? Why would they eat pizza? Like, we're Ghanaian. We don't eat pizza. And I, horror, the horror on my face. You know, just like, no, you're going to ruin my entire social life if we do not order this pepperoni pizza, okay? But it was like such a big lesson for me because she said, when you go to their house, you speak their language, 
you eat their food. When they come to our house, they will speak our language and they will eat our food. By the way, I threw myself down on the ground and like cried my eyes out, but it was such a great lesson and one that I have never forgotten. Because the truth of the matter is that like our own individual experiences matter. That is what she was teaching me in the moment. And part of that nurture was that you cannot cower in the face of anybody. Like what you bring is as important as what they bring. And so my confidence is built out of that kind of understanding that I enter a room and I'm like, no, I, I belong in this room. Not only do I belong in this room, you're welcome that I'm in this room because I'm bringing a new perspective. I'm bringing new experiences. And the thing is that like all of us have that. Like, it's amazing to me to think about like, you know, have you ever been asked the question when people say stuff like, you know, if you could throw a dinner party and have eight people around the table, like who would you invite dead or alive? Yeah. And you sit there and you think I'll have this person, that person, that person. Yeah. Change all those eight people and the whole conversation changes. So why would you think that your presence in a room, in an office, at a school, at the freaking bake sale, <laughs> your church, that that is not important. And so I, that's why I walk in like that. And I do believe that the experiences I've had make me unique. And so that's why I'm confident. I love that. Hey, y'all, it's Christina. If you've listened to this podcast a while, you probably heard me talk about my clients. And the reason for that is I'm obsessed with them and they're obsessed with their results. Having been a one-on-one -on -one coach for over five and a half years and being voted the top confidence coach in 2020, I can firmly tell you there is not a faster way to success than having someone hold you consistent, confident, and give you the clarity you need to achieve your personal and professional goals. In 2023, I am doing something that no one else in the coaching industry does, and that's allowing you to have me as your one-on-one -on -one coach for less than $300 a month. So if you've ever thought about one-on-one -on -one coaching and didn't think it was possible for you, I would encourage you to text me the word COACH to 501-222-3362. And I can tell you what it would look like to have you and I together in a one-on-one -on -one coaching capacity for the next year to make sure you are deciding it is your turn to hit the goals that you have decided for in 2023. Again, text me the word COACH to 501-222-3362. You can send me a message on Instagram at bchristina or check the show notes for more details. I look forward to hearing from you. You said something. I don't know if it was in your book or maybe one of the videos that I watched of you or whatever, but you said, what's the point of being in a room if I'm not going to be myself? And that is 100% what I believe. I've been saying it for years. Like as long as I've been social media, seven, six or seven years, I have said, you have a God-given responsibility to be yourself. And if you're being anyone else, you're fucked. Like wow. you, you are literally, it is 100% like that is your job. Like every single one of us have that. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is that like, if we aren't ourselves, it is very hard to keep up the facade of being someone else. I'm not saying you can't do it. You're probably very talented. You can probably, we can all pretend to be somebody it's else. It's hard. It's hard to be like, it's it's, hard. I mean, I say right? God in the same sentence. Like it's really right. hard to fake that for a while. <laughs> I'm telling you. Okay. And the truth of the matter is that like, look, it's like, it's like, it's like telling a lie. It's really hard to remember lies. <laughs> the truth is so much easier. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, if you are pretending to be somebody else, first of all, most of us like have this innate, like, and, in, and like DNA sense when somebody is not telling the truth, you know, you have like spidey senses, right? Intuition. Um, it happens all of the time. We just think we're smarter than people's intuition. You know, so when you tell a lie or somebody's lying to you, you start to feel uncomfortable. You know, you may not be able to identify right away. You don't know for sure that they lying, but you know it. You know, you like, hmm, something is funny here. Yep. You know, and maybe you go along with it because you try to logically say, oh, well, no, the person is, you know, they're so famous or, you know, they're such an expert at the thing they do. Like, why would they lie? Blah, blah. But it's the same kind of barometer I apply to how I enter a room. You know, if I put on, you're not going to trust me because somewhere deep in your psyche, you're going to know that I'm putting on. Yeah. That's what happens with like people we don't like when they're like arrogant or they're boastful, you know, because I get that question too. They're just like, you know, because I celebrate myself so much. I think there's a difference though between confidence and arrogance, a hundred percent. Total. Because most of the time, arrogance is born out of insecurity. Arrogance is born out of this, like, oh, I must be bigger than because I don't have the goods. You know, it's like, no, when you have the goods, you walk in differently. You're just like, oh, no, like, I, yeah, no, I know, I know what I'm doing. Like, yes, because I have the receipts to, to show you. Like, I don't even need to show you because I just know how, what I'm doing. And arrogance plays very differently. That's why we don't like arrogant people. It's a very different thing from confident people. We are drawn to confidence. We dislike arrogance because it is a lie. Oh, I love that. That's so good. Yeah, no, it's 100% the truth too. And I think, you know, one way that I always tell if someone's like, lying or not like I'm gonna be the first person to tell you when I don't know the answer like I'll tell you all the things that I know but like when I don't I I'm just like you know what I don't really know let me find out for you or I'm not too sure like but I think that that like you have to have a sense of humility I think too like I think that that's a big part of it I mean I'm not supposed to know everything I don't know everything about you you don't know everything about me but like I, I think when you're willing to it, it shows a sense of confidence in yourself if you're willing to say hey I'm not I'm not too sure here yeah, 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 exactly. Because you're right. Like, how could you know everything? You don't. Yeah, and absolutely. Isn't it so much better to be curious about, oh, about other people? Absolutely. Now that you've taken this season to be obviously the successful author that you are, and you've left your work, and you, I see that you're doing all sorts of fun things on social media. What do you think your next stage in life is? Like, what do you feel like really drawn to right now? Like, do you feel like you have a, a new sense of purpose or a new sense of passion for something? Yeah. You know, the quick answer is no, I don't. Okay. <laughs> but the longer answer is that I have always been a storyteller always, you know? And so it has shown up in different ways, whether it was in marketing, because I was telling stories of a product or of an experience in 30 seconds, 60 seconds, billboards, you know, like I was always, always storytelling in those little bits. Um, and now, you know, literally a storyteller in a book, right? And so I'm always drawn to storytelling. So I believe that my purpose is in continuing to tell stories of people, you know, and um, even the work that I'm that I've been doing sort of as a side hustle for Ghana yeah. uh, and working with the administration and the president has been in retelling a narrative about a part of the world that has been lied about for a long time, right? And so that's storytelling. So I feel like my purpose is somewhere in there. Um, one thing that I 
you know, I, I think maybe could be, I, you know, can have like folks can identify with is that I am unsure about what is happening next. And, but that doesn't scare me. I'm not afraid of it, you know, and I'm not afraid. And I think maybe that's a difference that sometimes, sometimes people are like, I don't know what's going on and it causes them to panic and they have anxiety. And then they start acting out in different ways because of that anxiety or fall into something that they're not supposed to be doing because they're like, ah, I just want something, you know, but I don't have anxiety about it because I have trusted my destiny to find me. You know, over and over and over again. And it has never failed. You know, so right now I'm like, look, whatever is happening for me next is on its way. I know it is. I just got to keep walking. That's I it. think that's amazing for you to be able to say that knowing how much you've gone through as mm-hmm. well in your life. Like that's yeah. like both a f- exciting and scary sentence. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And it's also the reason why I don't walk around anxious about who I could lose. You know, I don't, I don't mean that like, I don't have fear about it. I don't want to lose anybody else in my life. And believe me, God and I have had a conversation about that. Girl, I'm I'm sure. No shit. Don't look. I'm like, you better not even fuck around. You know, (laughs) like, don't do that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But at the same time, I don't have real anxiety about it because I have been at the very bottom of grief, you know, deep, deep, deep depths. Oh my God. Like just woo, to the point where like, you just don't even, it hurts to open your eyes. Mm-hmm. I'm mad at the sun because I'm like, why, how dare you shine today? You know, I've been there and I have survived it. I've come out of it. I have been able to laugh again. And so I'm also conscious of my own strength. Yeah. And the ability to continue moving, even with trauma tied firmly to my back. I didn't drop that shit anywhere. This shit is right here. Yeah. You know? I don't, I don't pretend as if like, oh yes, you know, you get over it and then you put it to the side and then, oh, you go about your jolly good way. No, no, no. Grief is right here, right here. It is, it is constant. It is not, it's not going any place. And I'm aware of that and I've accepted it. And we're all right, come on. Let's go now. <laughs> All of us. <laughs> Let's yeah. head on outside. You know, but I have I've accepted it. And that's why I'm not anxious about what could come because I recognize that I'm able to keep walking. Do people ask you or do people suggest to you that maybe you're stronger than them? Or like when people ask you about grief, because like, how do you explain that to someone else? Because I'm sure there's someone sitting over there and saying, you're stronger than me. Like, I actually believe it. Like, I'm sure you believe it. But when I was reading your book, you know, I, I truly believe I've been with my husband 20 years. And I, I think that it's the greatest. It's the greatest decision I've ever made was marrying my husband. And I was reading that book. And that's really when I started to cry on the plane. I was like, I don't think I could deal with that. And it yeah. still makes me cry right now. It's like, so how does when someone has lost the deep loss that you've had, like, how do you tell them like that you're not stronger than them or whatever yeah. it is? Yeah, no, that's a, man. Look, that is a, such a real thing to say, you know, because honestly, it's like, yeah, when you, we don't like to think about losing the person in our life that we feel so dependent on, you know, and dependency is not a bad thing. That's not weakness, you know, like, you love this person. They are a part of your life. They are part of your identity. They make you happy. They piss you off sometimes. They like, it's just, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's integrated in your life. And if that person were no longer there, it'd be such a deep hole 
that you can't imagine how you climb out of it. And for me, it's not so much that we are stronger or I'm stronger than anybody because I'm able to continue moving. It is just that I've found a way to do it with my grief. You know, that like there is not a day that goes by that I don't miss my husband or like my daughter does something and I want to call him. I want to tell him, you know, it's like, or God, anything, something funny happens. And I'm just like, look, he, he was a huge fan of Tom Brady, big Patriots fan. In fact, um, during his like last month, Tom signed a, a football for him and like took a picture of himself with the football and then sent it to us. And Peter took it and took a picture of himself with it. You know what I mean? Like That's cool. huge fan. So when Tom Brady retired for his 1.2 seconds that he retired, I'm telling you, it took everything. Like I was just like, oh my, where are you, Peter? Like you need to be here to experience this. And it made me cry. Yeah. You know, because I was just did you see four? Did you see four four four? Not at that moment. <laughs> Not at that moment. But I was like, I was like, Peter was somewhere whispering in Tom Brady's ear, like, unretire. Don't give it up yet. You know, and it's like that was him doing that. Yeah. But I'm I think part of it is also understanding, and this is going to sound so corny and cheesy, but it is the truth, which is that I am so thankful for the memories that I have. You know, I'm so thankful. It is what keeps me from falling all the way down into the hole. Yeah. You know, that like the grief that I feel, and I've, I've talked about this before in other places, like the grief that I feel is about the future. You know, it's about the things that I will miss in the future with Peter. You know, it's like, we won't celebrate 30 years of marriage. We won't see our grandkids together. You know, like there are things that we won't experience together. And that is what I grieve. But as for the things we have experienced, you know, if I had to do over again, I would do the exact same way. Even with the troubles and the challenges and the issues, I would do it again. You know, because like those memories are so precious to me and so wonderful. And even in the process of writing this book, one of the biggest gifts was that, you know, some memories I had put away so far because they were so painful, you know, but what happens is that when you put away a memory, like all of it goes, even the happy stuff. And so some of it was such a joy to uncover again, even in the pain, you know, just be like, oh man, I remember, man, that was funny. <laughs> you know, like, and remembering something that was really fun or incredible. You know, it's like I wrote about um losing my first daughter. And um in writing that, it was like remembering the first time I felt her move. Mm. And I was like, yo, I totally that was, I buried that with her, you know, but that was such a miraculous feeling. And what a gift Mm -hmm. to be able to have felt that. And even though I don't know what she would be like today, you know, I have no idea what she would be into or what she would love. And that, that makes me grieve. But like the memory of having had that feeling is so wonderful. And I would never, I would not want to give that up. Yeah. Has your daughter, Lael, read the book? She hasn't. Really? No. no are you, do you, are you anxious of that? Are you excited for when she does? Are you scared? Um, I'm excited for when she reads it. I want her to know her parents for people. 
yeah <laughs> you know that we were yeah. you know a human couple yeah um, she hasn't read it because I asked her not to read it oh you did <laughs> um I just felt like it's just there's so many adult topics in it and I wanted her to have a more mature perspective when she reads it eventually although I told her it was solely up to her if she wanted to read it that was fine you know, but I would prefer that she did it. So she hasn't yet. Although um, I also told her that like, if she, because she, sometimes she comes with me to interviews or yeah. you know, her friend's parents will yeah. ask her something, which has been wild. I mean, there's the internet, let's be honest. Telling, okay, exactly. My Instagram is public. And she's yeah, exactly. On, you know what I mean? So it's like, I, I told her that if there was ever anything that came up, you know, that she didn't know, whether she wants to talk about, we could absolutely, this was not, it's not a closed door just because she's not in the book, you know, I'm not reading the book doesn't mean we can't talk about it. And so there have been certain topics that she's been like, can you tell me a little bit more about what happened, you know, at this particular time or whatever. And then, yeah, we talk about it. So I'm hoping that when she reads it, she'll have a much better understanding of uh, who her dad and I were at the time. Yeah. You know, um, one thing that I've really resonated, I, I, don't, I ha didn't have children by choice. And, mm -hmm. um, but the way that you handle certain situations with your daughter, like I loved, I was listening to a podcast or something that you wrote or something along those lines where you talked about the d business decisions and being a parent. And you were talking about like the fact when you, when Peter first died, you moved to LA and you were working for, I think Apple at the time, and you really treated her like an adult. And I never judge any parents. Cause I feel like you're all doing the best that you can, but I loved the way that you handled that. And you really treated her like a part of it, like almost like a, like you were treating her like a business person, you know what yeah. I mean? So she yeah. was a part of the experience. And I yeah. really like that. I think that that's a really cool takeaway that a lot of parents can really resonate with. Yeah. By the way, that has been a gift. Yeah. Life. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I would have been this mother had Peter lived. Yeah. I, I probably wouldn't, you know, because like my idea of motherhood was destroyed when he died. It was just shattered, you know, like everything was different. And I was looking at her like, oh, shoot. Like she was four when he passed away. And I was like, how in the hell am I supposed to raise you? Like, uh, oh, you mean I got to do this for how how long is it? Is the time like until you're an adult? What, what is it? Carry the one minus five. You know, and like, I was like, oh, hell no. You know? And then I was looking at her and thinking, gosh, like, I really, I need help. Like, I need her help to, to raise her. You know, it's like, I can't be psychic. I have no idea what you need. Uh, like Peter was the one who was so excited about being a parent, you know, like, and by the way, I was honest in the book about that too. Yeah. I was like, look, I wasn't sure I wanted to be a parent. And and when I found out I was pregnant, I was like, wait, what happened to the birth control? What, what, what exactly went wrong? <laughs> Where did we go wrong here? <laughs> like, how, how did this, I, I have questions. I, who am I suing? You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so it was, you know, so I, again, like I, I can't pretend like I was the happy go lucky mom, you know? And so when it was just left to her, her and I, I was like, oh, this is, this is terrible. Oh, this is not the situation I want to be in. And so the conversation with her wasn't that I didn't want her. It was that I wanted her to help me, to communicate with me, to tell me what's important to her in a very honest way. Because parents do that all the time. Like, I, you know, tell me everything, come to me with anything. I'm like, how are your kids supposed to do that if you don't go to them? 
if you don't treat them that way, if you don't tell them your fears or the things that are important to you or when they disappoint you or when they really make you happy or like your expectations, they're not going to come to you if you don't do that. And so I was much more vulnerable and much more open with her. And then, yes, giving her a very large voice in our house. So when I needed to go on a business trip and I knew it would conflict with something that was important to her, we talked about it. And if, for, if like for real, like she was just like, hey, look, this is, I, I really, I need you to be there, then I'd, I'd have to find a way to do it, you know? But she also understood that that was going to be a big sacrifice. And that for me has changed our relationship for the duration of our lives together. That she always knows that she has a big voice in our house, in our relationship, and that there's no way I operate without considering her. Hmm. Such a gift. You guys, I hope you heard that. I hope you like pay attention. You have to go read the book. It was one of, I, I'm a person who like reads a lot of books and then I don't read and then I read a lot and it's got to be like a story. It's got to be a memoir. It's got to be, I got to learn something from it. And it was truly such a gift. Thank you for sharing it with me. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for taking the time. I'm so unbelievably grateful. I can't wait to witness all of the things that you do next, whether it's your workout videos. The one thing that Bose and I do connect on is the Stairmaster. Go check out her ass on IG because it is unbelievable. She is on the Stairmaster all the time. You are looking good and you know you are because you're flaunting it all up on there and I see it, girl. Okay, look. I, you look, are. I work for it, okay? You I have. Know. You've been busting your ass. I see those videos. You post it every day and you're uh, you're up in there. I love it. Yep, me and Jerry up in yep. the gym. You I know, love fighting, it. But working out. Awesome. <laughs> well, I'm so, so humbled, so grateful. I, you know, so excited to see what you do next. Thank you for taking the time. I really appreciate it. You guys, please, please, please go follow her for all of the, all of the motivation, all the good things and go get the book. Thank you so much. Thank you all so much for joining me on today's episode of the Decide It's Your Turn podcast. If today's episode resonated with you at all, please share it with a friend. Also, head on over to iTunes. Leave us a five-star review and a comment. What is it that you want us to talk about that will help you realize that at any moment and any day, you too can decide it's your turn. I'm Christina LeCure. I'll see you next time.